Welcome to NSL Unscripted, a national security law podcast, brought to you by the National Security Law Department at the U.S. Army's The Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. We bring you conversations and hot topics from NSL practitioners today and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to all of our listeners to NSL Unscripted. Well, I should say it's our inaugural episode of NSL Unscripted. I am Lieutenant Colonel Laura West. I'm the chair of the National Security Law Department at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. I have um, with me here in the studio, the podcast studio at the school, two of the U.S. Army JAG Corps' expert NSL practitioners, Colonel Peter Hayden, who's currently serving as the SJA at U.S. Cyber Command, and Colonel Eric Widmer, who is currently serving as the SJA at U.S. Central Command. I bring these two gentlemen here today, who I personally admire and look up to their careers, to bring them to all of you, our, our listeners out there, and the one Russian transcriptionist cast with. <laughs> okay, just a little humor there. Um, so the whole point of our NSL unscripted series, we named it that so that we could be a little bit off script and, you know, really get some inside viewpoints from those folks that we bring into the, the podcast studio to get their maybe a little bit unvetted uh, <laughs> personal opinions, you know, what they think about NSL today and some of some of the substance and practical aspects of it. And so we are starting our first podcast um, as basically a three-part series, and we may add on more. But this series is going to first start with talking to these esteemed practitioners about how the practice of NSL has been evolving over the years. And then we are going to do some separate podcasts with each of them, whether they like it or not, uh, so they can share some of their words of wisdom. I know that Colonel Winmar doesn't like that because he thinks it's very presumptuous, but <laughs> we think it's very true. So in that case, we're going to get started here with the first ever episode of NSL Unscripted. So gentlemen, as I said before, this is the scene setter before we talk to you individually, we kind of want to tell our judge advocates, attorneys, civilian attorneys, paralegals out there, you know, how has national security law evolved over the years? And the reason why I ask is I, I recently went to the annual ABA conference, and this was the topic of the day. Basically, they kind of spelled out, you know, over the years how much the national security law practice has evolved. And a few of the panelists even pointed out to how judge advocates have played a large role in that and really expanding the field and also recognizing at the critical points in time that we are going through an evolution. In fact, the department and our one of our core competencies used to be um, international and operational law, and now we call it national security law. And I think we do that, and I know we do that because, you know, the the vast array of practice areas has really grown over the years. And we're not just doing international or operational law. There's such a domestic component to what we do and understanding how those all blend together. So that is why I bring it to you two gentlemen here who have a front row seat at 
some of our most pinnacle jobs in the JAG Corps and as NSL practitioners in the Department of Defense. So I want to ask you both, how much more, first of all, do I need to add to the NSL handbook, right? Like how much more law do we have to keep writing in there? Basically, how do you envision or see this change for national security law over the course of your practice within the JAG Corps? I will start with you, Colonel Hayden. Laura, first of all, thank you very much for having us here. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to be back at the school, and it's especially a pleasure to be able to do it with my, my brother down at CENTCOM, Eric Widmar. Um, so, I mean, operational law, you know, there were a series of articles uh, even back in, I believe, the 80s and and 90s about operational law coming of age and operational law concept matures. And, you know, it dates back to when Colonel George Pru in Vietnam advising on the application of Geneva Convention protection to, to prisoners of war to try to safeguard American interests and American service members who are over there advising to Operations Urgent Fury and Just Cause, uh, you know, in Haiti and, or Grenada and uh, Panama. But when I came in in like 1996, operational law was, uh, for the JAG Corps, very much beginning to take off. That's when they started sending judge advocates to the combat training centers with the brigades to actually integrate legal training uh, into these several thousand man uh, man and women exercises at the combat training centers to uh, ensure that the law of armed conflict was complied with even in training. And then 9-11 happened, and uh, I think I think we all have lived the experience of the evolution of operational law over that time and helping our commanders, whether they be on the battlefields in Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere, or at the strategic level, conducting uh, global counterterrorism operations uh, properly in accordance with the rule of law. But how it's evolved recently, I think, as, as we've arrived at this idea that we don't just conduct operation law applicable to military operations, but we have to advise our commanders on the full range of practice, even in competition, right? We're in a phase that we recognize as strategic competition. And so our legal practice is not just about the law of armed conflict or rules of engagement, detention operations, targeting, but our, our practice has evolved. And, and so a couple of years ago, the Army JAG Corps, and I believe the other JAG Corps as well, evolved to national security law because we're bringing in concepts of security cooperation and security assistance, um, support to allies, intelligence, information sharing, integration with other national security law divisions throughout the executive branch, like prosecutions by the Department of Justice, Treasury sanctions, um, CFIUS blockage, uh, Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. All of these efforts are now coming together and being integrated and I think that's why judge advocates need a broader vision of what we have to, if not be expert in, at least be familiar with so we can interact with the rest of our counterparts throughout the executive branch. Well, so I, I totally agree with you, Pete, that um, <clears throat> let me let me uh, let me start by saying, actually, that, um, you know, there I was. <laughs> uh, I was sitting sitting in the jock uh, one night after the completion of operations in Afghanistan, and the deputy commander of the Ranger Regiment at the time, who was the commander of the task force at the time, a guy named Colonel Bill Osland, um, he, we were talking about the night's operations, and 
And all of a sudden, he looked at me and he said, you know what, Eric? Of all the branches in the Army that have adapted the best to since 9-11, the JAG Corps has adapted the best. He said, because as a commander prior to 9-11, I had no idea who my JAGs were. He says, but now you guys are embedded at every level. And frankly, you know, we value your advice. We seek your advice uh, across a broad range of issues, not just the legal issues. And so in that, in that sense, I completely agree with you. To, to your question directly, Laura, I think how the practice has evolved is breadth and speed. And I think both of those changes have been driven largely by technology and advances in technology, that with the amounts of information, the speed of information, the speed of the media, uh, and it, it has given non-traditional actors an outsized impact on operations. Um, and so I think that that's what I would say. You know, certainly our predecessors dealt with novel issues, new, new things that they were working through, how to advise on, how to understand the law and its applicability. But I think the difference now is that, yes, we're still encountering new issues, just like our predecessors did, but now they're, they're outside the traditional legal realm and the speed at which they are coming and the speed at which we have to respond, I think is, is significantly different than in years past. Okay. That's, that's great, gentlemen. I mean, so Colonel Hayden, what, you know, what I hear from you is like, there's a lot of evolution in, in really like the substantive law that we're practicing in those practice areas. And, and Colonel Widmar, you know, you gave this great insight of it's not only the law that's changing, but it's, it's really the practice. Like, how are we lawyering, right? How are we as national security law practitioners making, making our clients able to conduct their mission better, right? And yep. and serve that overall mission for the department and the national security apparatus in whole. Um, and so with that, now I want you to be fortune tellers, <laughs> <laughs> right? So like how, um, how do you think practicing NSL is going to look in the future? I mean, do we have to get really, really fast? <laughs> so I, I, I think, I think the answer is, Yes, yeah. because that's what our, our commanders are going to have to be faster. The pace of operations, I think the uh, not just the pace, but the austerity of operations. Look at Ukraine as the case study, right? And you look at how quickly uh, things are evolving there in terms of applying different forms of technology and and how lethal it is, right? And so... If operations are picking up speed, then we have to stay apace. Otherwise, we're irrelevant. And if our commanders want to continue, if we're going to continue to add value to our commanders and their decision process and cycle, we have to be faster too. So the question is, how do you do that? I think it really boils down to two things, and that is uh, you know, people and process. And when I say people, it's, it's developing the relationships and, and you know, inculcating this into judge advocates from the get-go, the critical role they play on a staff and developing those relationships horizontally, vertically, understanding what other staff sections, capabilities and authorities, what they bring to the fight. So it's more than just a, we, we, we focus on the ROE. It's all the other directives and policies that govern operations that we have to get, become more familiar with and more knowledgeable of. But then 
and have the relationships even more so. You know, we can't be an expert at everything, obviously, but it's developing the relationships so that the, the expert is a phone call away. Um, or even better than a phone call. Well, I won't say it's better. I, I, I still prefer the human interaction and a phone call. You know, maybe it's the, it's the other modes of communication, chat and things like that. The point is, how do we quickly share information uh, and flatten comms? And I think in terms of process, it goes back to how are we as an organization, the JAG Corps, you know, if, if we are a law firm, how are we sharing lessons learned, information? How are we sharing the law with each other so that somebody who's involved in an exercise in the Pacific can draw on the lessons of some of someone who went through something similar in, in CENTCOM, mm -hmm. right? How are we flattening that? Now, obviously, we have CLAMO and we have um, elements whose whose purpose and mission is to capture those lessons and to share those lessons, I think we're, we're just going to have to do it faster. And I think there are technological solutions to that um, that, that should be explored you know, moving forward as, as to, to really knit together this NSL community mm -hmm. so that people don't feel like they're an island out there. Because if you're an island, I think you, you, you risk uh, mission failure. This is absolutely a team sport. Team sport. Yes, sir. What do you think? I, I, I think Eric hit it straight on. Um, so we see, and, and Eric brought up technology and, and partnering with uh, partnering with those who are developing the technology and the technology we're interacting with. Um, NSL is going to become an interdisciplinary practice. I mean, to, to crystallize it, we're going to be concerned with how the law of armed, you know, you've heard the debates of how the law of armed conflict interacts with artificial intelligence. It's not just artificial intelligence, it's emerging technologies. How do we partner with industry? How do we partner with foreign governments? And and there's there's legal restrictions or legal authorities that affect those things. And that's not a traditional area of practice for NSL lawyers, or at least not in the deep granularity we're gonna have to. Information sharing is gonna be huge. Data management, data privacy, intellectual property, all of these kind of areas are gonna become critical areas for judge advocates to at least have an awareness of and be able to advise a commander on. But we're not going to be able to get to that level of specialty. And so the other thing that the other aspect and that Colonel Widmar talked about was people in process. Well, the people that we're going to have to reach out to are going to be the experts. And so national security law is going to have to get a lot more collaborative. It's it's not just it's knowledge management for lessons learned. So we train our own force, but it's also where do we get that knowledge? How do we make sure that I can get an IP lawyer or a contract lawyer or you know, a State Department, State L lawyer on the phone at the same time to solve a problem at the speed of relevance in war. And, and that gets back to exactly what Colonel Widmar's talking about. It makes it for a fascinating, challenging problem set. Yes, sir. And, okay, I'm going to go right back to you, Colonel Hayden. <laughs> because I think what you bring up is also um, a question that's, you know, on the department's mind or young judge advocates is really okay, we, we're seeing that the practice is evolving and we have all these new substantive areas and we have to get better processes in place and more collaborative. But what now, as you're hitting on, sir, what now, what gaps do you see in the actual substantive knowledge base? You know, you mentioned information practices and IP and emerging tech. Um, do you think judge advocates or you know, not just judge advocates, our civilian attorneys, paralegals, are, are we positioned 
it well in these areas to tackle those kinds of legal issues? Well, I wouldn't say to be experts. Um, I mean, there are certain areas, there's a limited amount of time in the day. There's a limited amount of time in the year. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> and we should be, and, and we are experts on the law of armed conflict, right? That's, that's our core. That's our center. But because we are going to need to be aware of these other areas, um, and we don't have the time in the day to become an expert on all of them, that's why we have to be collaborative. And so I think in order to be effectively collaborative and to get answers to the boss in time to shape operations, I think the, the gaps would be, not gaps, but the things we need to focus on are educating judge advocates on context, like where the military and judge advocates fit into the larger national security enterprise. Mm -hmm. And I think we do that through professional military education and, and broadening the scope of our national security uh, awareness. Yeah. Where does the Treasury Department come in? Where does the Commerce Department come in? How do we all fit together and work together? But the other thing we need to do is recognize that we're practicing law at the speed of relevance at an industrial scale, right? We all are overworked and never more than when we're involved in an operation or preparing for an operation. I will note that there's a risk, uh, as with any industrial scale legal practice, to default to law, the practice of law by, you know, form or desk book or frago or regulation. And we as judge advocates can't cede our expertise in the baseline law to those who prepare those fragos and and regulations. We have to know the law itself. We we have to be able to say this came from the Fourth Hague Convention regulations and not cede that to the drafters of the Oplaw Handbook. We can't cite to the Oplaw Handbook what? chapter. What? You don't want to cite to the Oplaw Handbook as the authors of it in the department? <laughs> don't don't misunderstand me. The Oplaw Handbook and the desk books are vital, but they're vital as finding aids for lawyers in the exercise of their competence to go to the actual legal sources and be able to give the right legal advice to their client. And I think that is where we become collaborative so that we can work with the other lawyers to get the right hard law to advise the client appropriately. Yes, I, thank you. <laughs> uh, so I, I agree with you, Pete, that you know <clears throat> we cannot be experts in everything. The scope of issues that national security law practitioners are dealing with is only expanding. And so it goes kind of goes back to my, my previous point of how do you end your point, which is how do you build that network, interagency network uh, at lower levels, right? Instead of, uh, you know, as we're currently postured. Um, so I guess, you know, your question was specifically on what knowledge gaps do we have? I, I agree with the areas Pete pointed out, but I guess I'm, I'm not overly concerned with that because of rule 1.1 right. and the model rules of professional conduct, right? The best rule. Competence. Right. Competence, <laughs> right? Our attorneys, our judge advocates, our, our, everyone who's involved in the practice of law in the judge advocate general corps understands this rule and I think uh, will pursue the information necessary to become competent in those areas. But again, going back to my issue of speed, how do you do that quickly? It's going to be largely through these networks that are built. But, you know, I, I love the Outlaw Handbook too, but it's not going to be pulling off a shelf, book off the shelf and leaping through it and then trying to find the law and everything else, right? Uh, it's going to have to be much more rapid than that. I do think a, an area that national security law practitioners need to focus 
And it's not a substantive legal area, it's a skill set. And that is critical thinking. Um, many times, and we've all been in those situations where a commander says something and people don't stop to understand the intent or the implications, they run to the sound of the guns to, to, to do what the commander said. We can provide um, a voice of reason in that process. And, and if we apply those critical thinking skills, meaning if we get better at understanding understanding data, what does it actually mean? Questioning it, what evidence do we lack? What evidence do we need? You know, um, we can bring those skill sets to the table with our fellow staff sections to improve whatever activity we're focused on. And so I don't, you know, I guess one could argue that, well, we're all lawyers. We went through three years worth of critical thinking skill set. I, I don't know if I agree. Right. We went through three years of, you know, focusing on the examination at the end of the semester so we could pass and right and and the rules, of, you know, the, the eggshell plaintiff rule and things like that. Right. Um, so I think critical thinking skills are different. Um, ADRP 622 talks about the importance of developing the skill set. It is a skill set that can be developed. And um, and, you know, I think that judge advocates, especially NSL attorneys, could, uh, would benefit from a, a greater uh, personal study of it and application of it as well as probably an institutional. I think that the, um, you know, General Petey and General Rish and standing up the leadership center here at the school uh, was a critical step forward in, in pursuit of developing these other non-legal skills that are equally as important to our practice. Mm -hmm. No, that's great, sir. Um, and a plug for our leadership center. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, to, to that point, yes, yes um, sir. if you look at ADRP 622, and I, I am generally a fan of it, it talks about, it describes leadership as an, an activity of influence. And I think that's a perfect description for us as judge advocates because we are never or rarely in positions of authority to make decisions. We are advisors. Mm -hmm. By the nature of our business, we are advisors. But we can still be leaders and we can still exercise leadership through our influence on other staff sections and how they develop options for the commander. We can exercise influence with the commander, him or herself, to consider things that maybe are not being considered. So um, I do think that the leadership uh, center is a critical step forward and that their focus on ADRP 622 is very important because of that definition. That leadership is not about position. It's not about rank. It's about influence. And I think for us as judge advocates, that that's a critical understanding. Okay, sure. Thank you. Wow. Okay. So um, I am going to wrap up our first episode here and just say or ask you both, you know, we, we kind of touched on this, but how would you advise judge advocates to become familiar with these practice areas or subjects that we've touched on here today. And so you said, you know, our bread and butter, Colonel Hayden, is is LOAC, right? And and that's for sure true. Um, but some of these other areas that we've touched on, and and even Colonel Widmer, to your point of, of leadership and improving, um, you know, people and process, how do 
judge advocates really get more familiar with this or um, better themselves in these areas? Obviously, they can read, you know, our army clubs, but but what's one way? I'm going to limit it to one way that you you would recommend that those judge advocates become more familiar with those areas or improve themselves in these ways. I'll take that one first. Um, I, I'm a big fan of going to CLEs, um, especially on some of these novel areas. Uh, some of the some of the civilian CLEs that are offered by other agencies or, or other practitioners especially the in-person ones, because then you get a chance to network and to make those very people connections that, that Eric just talked about. Um, you know, when it comes time for you to get your training, it's it's good to get that broadening training. It doesn't mean you're going to be an expert in it. It means you're going to be aware of what, what things you ought to be looking out for and who you can call. I think that kind of stuff is invaluable. Yeah, and I think it's incumbent on, as Eric said, as leaders of judge advocates, it's incumbent on leaders to make those opportunities available to those we lead to help build the future of our force, to build the future of our core, and to give those opportunities. Yeah, and I, I think, again, a plug for the school. <laughs> we offer many short courses here. But I think sometimes judge advocates veer away from the ones that they're not currently practicing in. And so I know you touch on this later. Well, both of you gentlemen touch on this later in your uh, next segments. We may have pre-recorded them, spoiler alert. But, um, you know, thoughts on getting familiar with other practice areas. You know, one that points out to me in particular is our Intel Law course. Um, I think a lot of judge advocates think, well, I'm not necessarily practicing in that right now, or I don't know that I'm practicing in that right now. Um, but, you know, Colonel Hayden, back to your original point that NSL is evolving where we're now really focused on that competition stage. And that, you know, I would offer uh, that I think Intel law is one of those areas that judge advocates practicing in NSL, or maybe not currently in NSL, but have a future in it, uh, could become more familiar with, um, because that is a, a, a strong practice area in competition. So anyways, I offer to kind of push back a little, little bit or to, to give you an opportunity to plug maybe going to courses that aren't necessarily something you're practicing in. Mm -hmm. And... How do you sell that to your boss? <laughs> well, I, Throw I, that hot potato I, out there. <laughs> well, I've never, uh, I've never met a boss who isn't interested in professional development, and so uh, you know, it's making. I mean, we're attorneys; we make the case, right? You make the argument, <laughs> make the case, and do, you know, do your best. I think that at the same time, I don't think that we can rely or expect the institution to feed us, you know, in these other areas of law. I think that self-study, uh, you know, what was formerly called lifelong learning, I believe it's called LEAP now, uh, you know, the, you know, we have to pursue self-development. I am a huge fan of podcasts because of uh, the scope. I mean, there's, there's just so many options out there to become a deeper subject matter expert in, uh, you know, uh, you, you name it, right? And I'll, and I'll share an example with you. So when I was working at Chairman's Legal and um, Ukraine was kicking off in February, um, 
we were literally dealing with issues that as they were evolving. And I'm going to give a plug to the Lieber Institute at West Point because, uh, you know, Winston Williams is, and his team up there, Ron McCullough, uh, immediately used their network of experts, like what we're talking about, to publish online articles daily as issues were coming uh, online or as they were anticipating certain issues. And literally, I would be commuting in from Springfield using a text-to-talk app to listen to what the Lieber Institute was saying, and I found myself discussing those exact same principles that afternoon with the chairman before he's going to go advise the secretary or something. So, you know, to to the Lieber Institute's credit, they were they were recognized by NATO and received an award for, for NATO because of their work on the Ukraine war and publishing this scholarship at the speed of relevance. And so, um, you know, these other areas of law, we can't rely on the institutional solution alone we have to uh, be engaged as professionals in uh, continual development. Okay, sure. Colonel Hayden, anything to add to that? No, that was, um, yeah, I, I'll, uh, first of all, I'll second Colonel Widmar's note on the, the Lieber Institute and how helpful that was. At Cyber Command, we, we also benefited from, from what the, they were putting out. A lot of the, the non-traditional scholarship, the blogs, um, are finding themselves much more responsive. And, and there's some, some real depth of thought there. I, I will also say that, um, that yeah, we absolutely should take advantage of opportunities to broaden. One of the JAG course constants is stewardship, and this is about stewarding the profession to, as, as Eric said, make the case that we're building the future, right? The JAG Corps is trying to build a bench of practitioners, and that includes making sure that people are trained for what they're interested in or what the JAG Corps might need them to do in the future. And if that means getting them a security clearance before they're assigned to a billet that needs it, or that means getting them intelligence law training or you know, contract law training or what have you, uh, in order to fulfill the needs of our practice, that's an SJA's job as a leader to recognize how we invest in our future. You know, going, going back to your point, Lawyer, about how do we gain experience in these areas, and I talked about leadership being an area that we that we need to gain experience in, what can they do? I would frankly say, be brave. So as you engage in self-study of different leadership techniques and styles, sometimes there's a hesitance to say, you know what, I maybe my shop could benefit from this technique, either how we share information, how we organize meetings. You know, we all, everybody has that traditional one, one week, uh, you know, everybody gets around the table and says what they're doing. I did away with that. And it was like I was a heretic um, because I had learned from a book called Radical Candor uh, that I highly recommend for everybody of different ways of organizing, sharing information in an office and, you know, vocalizing priorities and following up on priorities. And we completely revamped our battle rhythm in accordance with you know, some of the principles taught in this book. Um, and that was scary for a lot of people because it's change. Right. And who moved my cheese? Right. So um, so I would say, you know, engage in the self-study and then be brave to implement it. Obviously, explain why there should always be a why behind what you're doing. Explain it to people, to stakeholders um, and get, you know, to the greatest extent, get their buy in. But don't be afraid to improve your organization. I think that's right, sir. I think. Um... You know, even though judge advocates, we obviously have a rank structure in the military, 
you know, I would even offer, put your, put yourself out there, right? Even if you're the captain, put yourself out there, be brave, have a voice. It is, to your point, Colonel Widmar, it's probably unlikely that your boss is going to be mad about that. They're probably going to want your feedback and want to know what you have to say. So um, this episode started as a, you know, how has NSL evolved? And But we hope, as it did here, that some of these episodes really help also touch on that really critical leadership aspect. And so I, I hope we accomplish that here in our first episode of NSL Unscripted. Hopefully this is in your new podcast reel, you know, one more on your <laughs> way in. Yes, we just have to make sure we're at the speed of relevance here. So thank you both gentlemen for joining the podcast. And I happen to know that we may have already recorded your follow-up sessions. And so for the listeners out there, please join us for the next couple of episodes because we get the opportunity to talk individually with Colonel Hayden and Colonel Widmar about their, basically their career. And some, as I said, words of wisdom we can all hold on to and guide our way through our career no matter where you are in your career so hopefully that is helpful for everyone out there thanks for joining thank you thank you this episode of nsl unscripted was brought to you by the national security law department at the u.s army's the judge advocate general's legal center and school the views presented are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or its components, the Department of the Army, or the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. Our department also produces the Operational Law Handbook, accessible online. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and look forward to future episodes for NSL practitioners. Thank you.